Hey guys, I'm Chris Calvert, and today we are talking all about your miserable dog. No, not not you, not your miserable dog, but we are going to talk about dog training because I am so fortunate to sit down with Tara Raynaud, who is a dog trainer, not to be confused with a dog walker or with a, I don't even know, a dog um, person who takes them on the Westminster dog show. Nope, not a dog shower, not a dog walker, a dog trainer. And this is so cool for so many reasons. She is a, a French major actor, sales executive turned dog trainer. So imagine weaving all your experience of life into finally coming to the culmination of your passion and being able to train dogs. But as we talk about this, what you'll hear in the background are a bunch of kids. And you might wonder, why am I hearing all these kids possibly screaming and yelling? I don't know if you'll really be able to hear them, but they were definitely there. And we got to sit down at my kid's school, which happens to be her kid's school and her husband happens to be the principal at the school. So we got to sit down right there in his office and have this conversation, which was really, really cool. I've known Tara for many, many years. I've known her as a dog trainer only for a few years. I think she's been doing it for about uh, maybe three or four or five years now. And she will tell you all about what it takes to be a dog trainer and you know the barriers to entry, how easy it might be to get in, but how hard it is to stay, how difficult it might be to do well in this arena, and how her sales training and her love of people and her understanding of people is really helpful. One of the things that I really want to find out as we talk about this is if you train dogs, can you train <laughs> Can you train kids? Of course, I want to know that. But really, if you train dogs, can you train a llama? Can you train an orca? Is it the same process? Or, you know, is it you can't train a cat if you can train a dog? So I think I'm going to ask a lot about that kind of that kind of information, because I really want to know what can you do with this? If you have this training, where do you where do you go with it? And is there an opportunity? Can you get a job as a dog trainer? Or do you have to then just start your own business and, you know, go that whole route, which as many of you know, is not for everyone. That's a really special skill to run your own business successfully. So is it even available? I don't even know if I'm a dog trainer. I don't know where I would apply for a job as a dog trainer, but she's going to tell us. And that's why I'm wondering also, you know, maybe I could work at a zoo. Maybe I could work at, I don't know, a, a veterinarian's office or a pet store. I don't even know. And we're going to find out. So if you if you love dogs or if you love just maybe your dog or you kind of want your kids to behave a little better, you might learn something here too. But she's amazing and really calm and cool and just level-headed and even and all those things that you want your dog trainer to be. So she'll talk about training dogs and training their owners so you can hear about the reverse psychology that you might be experiencing when you hire a dog trainer. So get ready. Get Fido next to you. Get him out here because this is going to be important for all of you as we hear the ins and outs about being a dog trainer, here we are with Tara Reno. Okay, so today is an awesome day because we are here with Tara Reno, who is a dog trainer. 
which I know nothing about. I barely know anything about my own dog. So we're going <laughs> to find out what it is to be a dog trainer, how that even works, how you even get doing that, and why someone would choose to be a dog trainer over all the other things that there are. So welcome, Tara. Thank you very much. So glad to have you here. Glad to be here. So... I've introduced you as a dog trainer, but why don't you just start maybe and tell us what would you say that you do? Exactly. So I'm glad you said that because there's a lot of confusion and misinformation really on what a dog trainer is. I don't like to call myself a dog trainer. I do, for lack of a better term. There really isn't a good terminology for what I do. I'm more of a family therapist slash advocate slash coach. I don't really, dog trainer to me carries sort of a negative term. Hmm. Um, What I do is different from what a lot of other people think about or what other dog trainers do. So there's a coercion-based training or correction-based training versus what I do, which is all positive reinforcement. So I don't use any aversives. I don't use any correction Uh, to help the dog learn, I focus only on the behaviors I want the dog to learn. I'll call him a him because that's what I usually do. Um, What I want Because those are all the bad ones. (laughs) The bad ones are boys. (laughs) That's right. So I focus on what I want to teach the dog and not so much on the bad behavior or trying to correct it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So again, I, I don't really train behaviors. I coach people and dogs to get alternative behaviors to behaviors that they don't like. So an example of that would be my dog jumps on me every, or my my dog jumps on my kids every time they come home from school. And it's crazy and chaotic. And sometimes my dog bites my kids out of excitement. How do I stop that? Well, I don't really stop the jumping behavior. I change what's going on in the environment. So all of my training or all of my coaching is done at your home, but I come in and I look at what's going on. So for instance, with the kids coming home and in your house, you have three or four, <laughs> four, four. <laughs> usually four. four yeah. And I have, you know, three or two More. right now, yes. but yeah. And when they come home, it's chaotic, right? There's backpacks and kids are, you know, excited to be home or tired or cranky or whatever and the dog hasn't seen the kids all day so of course or anyone or anyone truly so the dog's excited so the dog jumps up and what happens is sometimes that hurts sometimes it's bothersome so the kids will push the dog or say ow don't hurt me and for the dog in dog understanding that's game on That looks like a fun game. Yeah. So the behavior even escalates. It doesn't just continue, but it escalates. And you have, you know, the pushing down and the jumping back up and the pushing down, the jumping up harder or the running down the hall and the chasing. And we have an Australian shepherd, so they like to nip, Mm -hmm. right? So how can I change that behavior? Dogs are going to nip. Dogs are going to run. Dogs are going to jump. That's pretty much normal dog behavior. It's the way that it's happening that's unacceptable. So what I do is I either change the antecedent, what's happening before that behavior happens, or I change the consequence of that behavior, what's happening after he jumps up. So for the antecedent to change, what we'd have to do is prevent the dog 
Let's make sure everyone knows what antecedent, because that's a huge word. Thank you for using it. I I love it. I appreciate it. But you're talking about the thing that, that, like the setup, really, right right before that, that is kind of the cue for the dog to do whatever he is going to do. Yes. Um, Or just the environment. What's happening before the behavior happens? So, So the antecedent in this case is kids are coming home. Dog has been crated or, you know, without family for hours. Mm -hmm. And now everybody's all together and it's chaos. So how can we change that? Maybe we don't let the dog out of the crate right away. Or maybe we have the dog in another room while the kids are coming in, taking backpacks off, you know, taking shoes off, changing, whatever, giving, you know, maybe five minutes, 10 minutes of time for everybody to get used to the fact that people are home, Mm -hmm. the dog is still excited, but it's diminished from that initial walking in that door. Um, So that would be how we'd change the antecedent. And I would ask the family to make some changes that way. The consequence, how could we change the consequence, which is the kids pushing the dog or screaming and running, Mm -hmm. is we deal with our kids and we say, okay, you know, Rover is having a hard time with this. So what we have to do is be very still when we come in. We can't push the dog back. We have to just remain still. And I call it be a tree where they're just very still. And what happens, and it's miraculous if you watch it, the dog, all of a sudden, he jumps and nothing's happening. And he looks and he jumps again and nothing's happening. And he's like, huh. And he tries something different. Now, if in that moment we can reinforce the dog, for having four feet on the floor, say give him a treat Mm -hmm. while his feet are on the floor, all of a sudden that becomes very reinforcing, more so than the push back and, you know, re-jump of the dog. Does that make sense? Completely. So that's how two ways we could change that interaction between the humans and the dog. And that's kind of why I say I'm not a trainer. I'm more of a, <laughs> let's look at this. Yeah. Well, you're like a, you're a psychic. A forensic, right? yeah. <laughs> you're a forensic uh, doggy detective. Right. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think you're a trainer. I think it's amazing. I could not do this. I Because I I'm thinking, what do you do? And I'm going to stay here before we go back. We'll talk about how you got here, what your training is, how you even know how to do all this. Right. Because that's really relevant to people on this podcast. Like, how could I even do this if I wanted right. to do this? Right. But what do you do just practically? with your friends kids friends you know because they come in because i'm thinking of these instances we have a two and a half pound chihuahua as you may know and (laughs) that dog is no big threat to anyone but when she gets nervous like she did the other day with a bunch of kids around and and then the dog the kids will say oh can i hold her can i hold her and i always have to say you know like not right now because that's okay. she's coming she's gonna bite you i promise mm-hmm. and she's little she doesn't really that's well, her only fear. way right. yeah i mean yeah. that's her only way to say i don't like this right right so but what do you tell so like when you say get the family involved you get you enroll the friends too so like we pull up in carpool and then you can you, you say can. everyone be a tree when we walk in the door absolutely well i i do it at schools too i will do give a talk about being a tree um you know being very still how to approach dogs how to read body language at schools but in a case where it's a family that i actually have a client and they have the neighborhood that everybody's running around on the streets and they come in and go out and you never know. So working with the different kids that are frequent visitors to the house is helpful or getting just a couple kids to help you with the dog. So in my case, we have a reactive dog 
What does that mean? Uh, means he doesn't necessarily, he, he doesn't know how to meet people. He wasn't properly socialized as a puppy. Okay. Um, he's a rescue, sort of. He's a, an acquisition. <laughs> I acquired him from a former As a force, res- yes. force rescue? Yes. Um, and so he doesn't know how to greet people or meet people. So it's it's hard because you also have friends or kids, you know, who don't like dogs or mm-hmm. who have learned not to right, like them. Yeah. And who don't want anything to do with them. So what I do is I recruit kids who are up for it, who will help me train my dog Casper. Um, and so we set it up. Now Casper has a place to go. So he has a you mean a safe a safe place? Yes and no. He okay. has a safe place. He has a crate. That's his place. Nobody bothers him when he's in there. He okay. doesn't usually go there. He has a place to go when someone comes to the door. And it's basically a little podium. Like an like assigned a, seat. Yes. Like an assigned seat. Okay. I love this. And we call it climb. The, the piece of equipment is actually called the climb. And it's like a circus podium, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, a, so, like the seal's totally. going up the sea lion. <laughs> yes. Totally. That's awesome. So he goes to his podium okay. when somebody comes to the door. And as long as he stays there, the person will come in. If he jumps down or does something different... The person goes back out. So he only gets what he wants, which is to meet the person if he's on his podium. Does that make sense? Completely. So how we get him to do that is we are heavily reinforcing him with treats or his food. And any step off gets the person goes away. Everybody's very quiet. If he gets back up on the climb or if we give the cue climb, he gets back up on the climb. Then we start again, reinforcing the person walks in and then quickly the person comes in and scratches under his chin. And usually that calms him down right away. So what I've done, this goes back to your question on how do you get the neighbor kids to participate? Mm -hmm. You don't, but you can work with certain kids to help you teach the dog. Now, when someone comes to the door, we say climb, he goes immediately to his porch or his little podium and the people can come in. And also to teach that, I make sure that I have it safe where he's on a leash. You know, bef- when I first started teaching it, he was tethered. So he was on a leash attached to me so he didn't jump or lunge. And then you have the immediate. Yeah, then I can, I can rain hold in, him. let's say. Yeah. Right, just to be safe. I'm always super safe. I just wanted to mention that. You can't just expect the dog to go there right. at first. You want to have some safety nets in Well, place. and I think what you mentioned is important. So the person on the other side of the door in this case is what I would call a trained actor. Yes. You know, that is someone totally. who knows what to do, right. who has been instructed, <laughs> trained in the ways of dog for yes. this particular purpose. Or right? I narrate it. So just okay. listen to what I say and doesn't matter what the dog does, just listen to me. And if I say, go out the door, go back out the door, they'll go back out the door. So so you narrate it for them as well. For the So you're training the dog and the person. Yes, coaching the person <laughs> and helping the dog to understand where we want him to be. Okay, so... And where is the reinforcement? And your reinforcement is on the podium, both in the form of treats and affection or attention from the person who walks in. Yeah, because I like what you're saying, because... People who are maybe scared around dogs think that dogs are aggressive or dogs want to come after. That may be true in some cases, right? right? But generally, dogs that jump on you are so excited and they want to see you and they want to be with you. And then it's kind of a sad case, right? Because it's like, wow, you're so ill-equipped to do what you want to do as this poor little sweet dog, right? Right. Okay. 
So I'm thinking or obnoxious or obnoxious big dog. <laughs> big dog. Yeah, because right. I think Jumping there are plenty. I think plenty of people have learned to be afraid of dogs because the, and there are plenty of ill-behaved dogs. Oh yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this, and then plenty. we're going to transition. <laughs> right. So do ill-behaved dogs come from ill-behaved owners? so hard because and my husband makes me laugh because he's like what do you do for a living i know right <laughs> our dog. so oh, that's oh i see like you're yes. like shoemaker's daughter right so totally. like at home it's a whole different story from yes. what you're able to coach other people well yes and no i mean i don't have a perfect dog because he's a dog and he is a living sentient being that makes his own choices mm-hmm. too right and so i'm you know limited in how i can coerce or control, which I choose not to do. So I try and elicit behaviors that are acceptable and good and teach behaviors that are okay with us. So like no jumping on the furniture, no jumping on people, you know, when they walk in the door, he's not really a barker or or things like that. Chew appropriate things, do that kind of thing. But back to the question, is it the people or the dogs? I think it's a combination of both. A lot of times we take the advice from our veterinarian that says, don't take your dog out for the first 16 weeks, you know, until it gets fully vaccinated. Right. But what happens is that what runs in tandem with that is the open period for the puppy. It's like they're a sponge for those first 16 weeks and they're very open to new experiences. And we have them you know, like in a crate or in our house, we don't introduce them to anything because we don't want them to get sick. But truly, a lot of dogs get behaviorally sick because they're not introduced to novel stimuli. They don't understand what, you know, a skateboard is or Mm. another big dog or a black dog or a white dog or a, you know, a cat or whatever. They only have experience of what we have in our home. And so that really limits them. And what happens there is that then you don't have a wide variety of what he knows So when you have a gardener with a blower, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you don't have a gardener at your house and all of a sudden he sees the gardener, he doesn't know what the heck it is. So he starts doing what dogs do, which is being defensive, barking, lunging. Um, I have a client whose dog bit the gardener. Whoops. And the pool man, but not theirs, the neighbors. Even worse. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And... Right. Yeah, it's worse, right? But that's why. I mean, the dog wasn't properly socialized. So it's kind of a catch-22. And then, of course, you have, you know, people can make mistakes on a regular basis of doing things with their dog. One of the biggest mistakes we make, honestly, is saying no and punishing. Um, I give this example. No. No, Chris. No. No. You're not doing what I want you to do. Right. No, I'm, I'm totally freaked out. I'm frozen. I want you, could you please move your hands like this yes, instead I, I of crossing your you arms? <laughs> See, so right, you did no it. No problem. Of course, I'm trainable. Because I yes. told you what I wanted you to do. But in the first case, which is what we always do with our dogs, we say no. As if they're supposed to read our minds and know what we want them to do instead of what they're doing. Right? Yeah. 
So are we assuming they speak English? No. Okay, so no, tell no. me more about this. So I wouldn't be using words with the dog. Okay, I so would how be is showing it? the dog either luring. Mm-hmm. So if I don't want you to go into that room, I'm going to lure you into this room or um, you know, the jumping thing, mm-hmm. I'm going to reinforce you when you have four feet on the floor. I'm going to reinforce you and tell you what I want you to do. I'm not going to say no and push you down because that yeah. doesn't tell it, you it what nowhere. to do. Right. Yeah. That's super interesting. And so the dog is, doesn't understand and we are frustrated. And usually when you say no, it escalates from our point of view because we're like, no, no. Oh, you're so dumb. Mm-hmm. And, and it isn't that at all. We're not clearly communicating what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I try and help people. When I first meet people, I say, I'm going to ask you to do this. Please don't say no to your dog until ever. we meet again. Well, and then they can't ever get through a week. And we talk about that. And isn't it interesting why? And I do things like what I just did to you, mm-hmm. you know? Could you raise your hand? Sure. Thank you. But if I didn't tell you that, you wouldn't have known what I needed you to do. And I could have just said, no, no, stop. Don't right, do right, that. Right. But that doesn't give you the info. So whatever way we do it, give them the the way to understand whether it's luring or capturing So there's something called capturing and shaping. It's a type of training. And you capture them doing the behavior you want them to do. It's kind of in kid theory Mm -hmm. when you catch them being good. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully that, you know, will continue if it's reinforced. Same thing with the dog. So whatever they're doing, if you can capture it. So if the dog is laying down while you're cooking dinner and you're reinforcing that, guess what? He's going to keep laying down while you're making dinner. If you don't, if you're just reinforcing him or, you know, talking to him when he's jumping up, he's going to jump up more. Right. It's, it's all the same yes. sort of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cause I think we, as I can speak as an American, we're trained to be on high alert for things like that. Like that's hard culturally, right? right. It's like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. We need to fix what's wrong. Right. Not like, okay, let's just, you know, calm down, think about what we need here, and, right? Well, and right. like take our time. And I deal with Americans, so they call me and they my business is called What a Good Dog. And I never get a call from a person who says, I have a good dog. I always get called from people who say I have a bad dog. And that's because that's what they're focusing on. Mm-hmm. But even when I spend an hour and a half with the family, because that's my behavioral consultation, I'm spending time with them and they're telling me how awful this dog is, but the dog is sitting down over there and I say, but look, he's sitting right now. And they're like, oh yeah, because we are not conditioned to look and see the good stuff. We're just annoyed and we want to get rid of the stuff that bothers us. But the fact is a lot of dogs do a lot of good stuff and they do a lot of bad stuff too, but they're not all bad. So if we could just capture more of that good stuff and reinforce it, that would overtake the obnoxious behaviors that we are so quick to say, mm-hmm. oh, my dog barks all the time or he, you know, jumps on me or he chews the the table leg or whatever. Um, but they do a lot of good stuff too. So it's probably just like kids because it's the same, the, totally. the idea is the same, right? So the, the psychology of it and just kind of the way it works, I'm getting, yes. it's kind of like kids because 
if there's no problem, I don't have to do anything. Right. right. If they're right. not like they're not making a mess or creating chaos right. or yelling in the There's street no or blood. whatever. Right. There's no blood. <laughs> they're not hitting each other. I don't have to do anything so I can focus on other things that are present. Right. But then when they are doing something or by, you know, they ruin that table or right. they break something or whatever, then you're like I'm saying high alert. And I think you're so right, right to say that we're I, almost unfortunately conditioned that way. Yes. But we could probably train ourselves better as babies, too true right we to could. like look for the good stuff the good stuff and the easy stuff and that kind of thing mm-hmm. okay so before we transition into how you even got okay. here so <laughs> when you said that about the puppy i'm curious because you say that if they're not around other dogs mm-hmm. and have opportunities to socialize and really experience the world right what um what is the appropriate age for them to start experiencing the world and what what kind of ways should they be experiencing the world? So there's plenty of ways to do it now. I don't know if you've seen it. My kids think it's hilarious, but some people buy the strollers for their puppies yes. or their older dogs. Um, strollers are a just great way see. just to see and to experience okay. and to hear sounds and to be in different environments, not always at home, but their paws aren't on the ground and presumably they're not picking up something off the ground because they're in their stroller. So I do have a lot of clients who are buying the strollers now. That's a good way. But I mean, just stuff that you introduce your dog to, even in your home. Um, So cookie pans, drop a cookie pan on the floor Mm. and treat the dog, give the dog some food or give the dog something good when that happens. So it's it's counter conditioning the dog to the scary sound, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want him to freak out every time something drops it's it's easier to do with kids because kids inherently make lots of noise they have noisy toys and things like that Um, but just trying to create novel stimuli whether it's sound or sight or surfaces so when I do my puppy preschool I go to the house and I bring a bunch of stuff my husband play circus music when I get ready because I have like all kinds of things that I take. I think it's but, right because I think you could also train seals. You could train oh, yeah. orcas. Oh, you I could, can. Yeah. So right? to okay. get my credential, I had to train a different species. So I trained oh, a we're cat talk and about a rabbit. Okay, yeah. Don't tell me everything. But yes, that's you, could, awesome. you could train a lot of things. So back to what I bring, I, I try and introduce the dog to walking on certain surfaces. So I bring a big skateboard that's really big and I kind of hold it. So the dog's not going to slip or be too scared. But, you know, putting the foot on top of that sandpaper and then having it roll a little bit is something different and strange that he's not used to. But when we get him used to that, he's not going to turn into the dog that I had that couldn't walk over. Not I didn't have. I had a client. Um, the dog couldn't walk over a grate in the street because he was so freaked out by the grate. Oh, like um, like cows. Yeah, yeah. Like cows, totally. But if we had trained the cows to walk over Mm -hmm. certain surfaces, they wouldn't care about the grate, which wouldn't help the farmer. He wants them to (laughs) stay there. So we have them, right? Yeah, but for the dog, we want the dog to be able to walk down the street, and you know those metal things that Mm -hmm. are um, either manholes or elevator shafts. You know, he wouldn't walk over those. So we had to train him or help him to get over his fear and we did it with food and really small little steps but the more you introduce puppies to different surfaces and different sounds I have bells and tambourines and um, I use one of those kids tunnels to pull the puppy through I don't pull the puppy through but I you know entice him Mm -hmm. through having him go into that 
like closed oh, like space. The, yeah, those little puff up yeah. kind of things. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. And that's part of you know their their discovery or exploration as puppies, and that produces a dog that feels a lot better in different situations than if you just keep the dog, you know, quiet. And it's like kids, Mm -hmm. you know, if you take your kid everywhere and they are able to sleep through things, you have a much more well-rounded sort of child that's able to adapt differently. It's the same with a puppy. The more you teach him or the more you expose him to, the more well-rounded he is. And then what's reasonable, it's a little different from kids because kids don't go away from their moms at eight weeks or at 12 weeks or ever. Um, Ever. (laughs) God willing. the mom of a (laughs) 23-year-old. An accomplished 23-year-old, imagine, right, on the other side. Um, So what uh, what is, is there a good time? Does it just depend on the dog? Like if you have to separate a puppy and you have a choice, I always say with our little dog, we got very lucky because it was a family who had, you know, these two little chihuahuas and we ended up with one of them. And so she's amazingly well socialized, secure, all that stuff. So what, is there a time frame that makes sense? What? If you're getting a rescue dog, you kind of just no get what you get, yeah. right? But if for the breeders and the good breeders who are out there will do exactly what I'm talking about. They will set up their little pens with swings and slides, you know, the baby slides and all kinds of things to give their puppies this experience, even when they're home with mom and the siblings. Okay. But typically I see um, my clients get their puppies from their breeder eight weeks nine weeks, and then they have until six weeks for that open period before the scientific fear period kicks in. And that's where they become very wary and, you know, cognizant of what's going on around them and more suspicious and things like that. Um, So you want to get that exposure in before 16 weeks. And unfortunately, that's right when they finish their shots so now you're taking that 16-week-old puppy out to the big world because all of a sudden, and he has no skills mm-hmm. because he hasn't been exposed to a lot of things. So that that puppy socialization is super important. And job security on your part for that a little bit, right? Because because they're going to have these dogs that don't oh, yeah. that don't get out. Um, okay, so let's figure out if you were thinking that you like listening to this and thinking I could totally do that. That is something that's for me because I'm listening to you and I, I don't even think I could pass the first test. Is there a test? I could, I, could, I don't know if I could pass the first test. So, um, but I want to go back just when you were little, did you, mm-hmm. did you have a big, like a farm? Did you play with a lot of animals? Were you exposed to a lot of animals? Like how, where did this interest even come from, from when you were a kid? Yes. So my first border collie was when I was five and she was sort of my first dog, and she's a border collie, so they're pretty high energy, high intelligence. Um, and I just figured all dogs were like that because mm-hmm. that's how I grew up. And then when she died, we had always had a dog. So we went from her to another dog that we had for, I don't know, 15 years. That was a German Shepherd. And I've always had rabbits. So I've always been really into animals, and I still am <laughs> yeah, obviously yeah right? but did your parents support that were they animal people or was it just um, kind of like you were in in a normal-ish setup and you had a dog like every but everyone might have a dog I think it was a normal-ish setup and I had a dog like everyone else but I sort of 
I had a different calling, I think, mm-hmm. than other people. Like I would always bring home the birds that were hurt or like yeah. I wanted to save the kittens that, you know, we found behind the garage and yeah. I you was were the always, easy child. Yeah, I was always that person. <laughs> Okay. So, Much to my, my mother's dismay. Well, that's I what think. I'm thinking. Yeah, I, she didn't like I'm wondering it. if you, um, I would think if you were a dog trainer that you would have had a lot of exposure to a lot of dogs or been on, raised on a farm or had some, you know, some kind of something. But this is interesting because what you're saying is really, it's in you. Yeah, it's, it's in me. And so I, I have always trained dogs. So from a very, when I was in high school, I did obedience training with a dog and then you mean as a participant as a participant okay. yes but as a participant meaning I trained my own dog I went to a group class and I trained and I did the little obedience tricks and whatever and then I worked with I guess we're sort of transitioning into how I got into my sure, career yeah um I worked with Aussie Rescue and Border Collie Rescue as a foster home this is when you are how old now this is so now I'm much older not oh, okay. as old as I am today, but, but like, I wasn't at home. I was living on my own, so I had my own space and my own house. I didn't. But you were out of college. Yes. So what did you do in college? Did you? I was what... a French major. <laughs> you were a French major. I was a French major. Okay, so you can um, train dogs in French. Oui, oui, je oui. Peux. oui. <laughs> <laughs> je les chiens peuvent parler en français. Oui. <laughs> exactly. Only Bijan Frise or uh, something like that. Yes. Right? No, they they all can speak French. Okay, this is fascinating. Okay, so you're a French major, I was which a French has major. nothing to do no. with dogs. Maybe cuisine, but no, yes. nothing really to do with dogs. No. Okay, and then you finished as a French major. Yes, I finished. As a French major, and then I went into just and business. no minors, uh, but business minor. Okay, all right. I went to UCLA, and I was a French major, and they didn't really have a business, so I did like communications. I did a business minor. Okay, basically. like yeah, all your supplemental classes, yes. like all those electives that you can take. Everything yes. else is business. Uh huh. Okay, so you're a French business major educated yes and now you're going okay so now you're so then I went in then I went into business where I was in sales professional sales and I did that for many 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 years did you like it yes what did you like about that uh people and interaction I liked the products that I sold I liked the company that I worked for it was a high-end plumbing firm um very professional, very, a lot of great opportunities and meeting a lot of people. And then from there, I went into recruiting, professional recruiting. For what level positions? For all levels in clean tech. What is that? Is clean that... tech is like water efficiency and, you know, zero res cars. Oh. Um, yeah, electric. So what vehicles. kind of job? I, I got I to gotta understand this. So what, what kind of jobs are you recruiting? For like, what are the companies? Engineers, okay, uh, designers, salespeople. Oh, any of it. See, yeah, any of it in that industry. So we focused in clean tech. Was the company that I worked for? Mm-hmm. They focused on clean tech, and so whatever company was in clean tech. So one of my clients uh, redid buses, and they turned them into electric buses to shuttle people at LAX airport. So they were looking oh, for, I see. so, okay. so companies like that, um, anybody That's who really did, niche, right? Yeah. Sounds it was, like it, it was niche. Yeah. And unfortunately it was still very early in the whole, I mean, it still is early in the whole clean tech space, meaning, 
you know, not coal, not, you know, coal for our fuel, but electric and alternative energies. It's still very new. Mm -hmm. And uh, the company was sold. And at that point, I said, you know what? It's time for me to do my own thing. Okay. And And it's time for me to be me. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I think you you reach a certain level of... Age. (laughs) But age and experience, right? Because not... And that's why I'm asking, did you enjoy that? And what do you like about that? Because I think everything prepares you for where you are when you get there. Well, and I come at it in an interesting way. So a lot of my associates who are dog trainers, again, for lack of a better term, they come at it from a much different perspective they are dog people and a lot of times they don't do as well with clients or teaching Mm -hmm. as I do Mm -hmm. because my background is business I mean I always worked with dogs I always trained I always did that but that was more of a hobby and I was schooled with big corporate business. Mm-hmm. So I know how to do customer service and follow up and efficient practices. So I came at it a little bit differently and I think I think that was helpful for me. A lot of things that I don't struggle with, a lot of my associates do because, you know, I know how to do paperwork or follow up, not so much paperwork anymore, but computer work mm-hmm. to, you yeah. know, to give follow up. <laughs> right. See, that was just lost on me. I just yeah. totally missed it. I was like, yes, paperwork. Paper, yes, absolutely. No, computer um, work, right. Email, yeah. Emails, all that. And also, um, I think I was going to go into a whole different part of my life. I was an actress for a bunch of well, years. Well, this is helpful, too. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think it's all I was, helpful because there's there's an actor sitting there right now in right. L.A. <laughs> saying, you know what? I've bust enough tables. I've you know served enough wine. And right. I'm not getting the jobs I want. And I love dogs. And how would I? But I'm an actor. Right. But. Well, so my that capacity helps me to be able to be very flexible because as an actress, you have to be flexible and it helps me understand people and it helps me be available and not shy. I'm not a shy person. I've been in front of audiences for my whole life, so I'm okay to be in front of you and to, you know, give you some ideas or to act something out mm-hmm. for you. So yeah, that that was helpful too, and I think that um, I think that's the reason that I decided this was going to be something I want to do, and that's also how I'm evolving now. So I don't do paperwork. I'm starting to do more videos for my clients. So when we have a meeting, instead of writing it down, a lot of times the kids don't read the written stuff, but they really need to hear it. So I'm doing videos for them where. I'm just sitting there saying, remember when we talked about this and this? And it's just kind of a summary of what we did, but it's a different format and a different way to get to them. So I think that whole acting mm-hmm. portion of my Oh, yeah. It's coming in full helped. circle. Yeah. And the listening. Yeah. For sure. As an actor, oh, yeah. you're a trained listener. Yes. Right? So that's got to be really helpful. Yeah. I okay, feel like I'm not listening now. I feel uh, like I'm talking. You're ta- I love it. That, but that, no one wants to hear about me. I don't have anything to say about this. Okay, so now you're you're a French, you're a trained French speaker yes. with a business 
degree experience, um, lots of experience in sales and dealing Mm -hmm. with um, high level people though Mm -hmm. too, engineers and that kind of stuff, technical people. And then, so that kind of falls away. And then what's the aha moment when you say, dog, I'm going to be a dog trainer. I'm going to, I'm going to go for this. So what was the research? What was the path? What, what evolution got you from, you know, ending in sales and recruiting to now I'm going to, because it's a big step. Right. So honestly, it was because I did not want to move with the company that was being sold. So it wasn't really an aha moment for me. It was sort of like, okay, now I should do this. Well, but you had always had but, that because you could have done anything else, right? Well, here's, here's what happened. So while I was recruiting, again, this is my passion. So this is what I spend my time looking at, reading about, thinking about doing is dogs and okay. dog training. Like on the and, weekends, you would yeah. do what? You would go to pet co- Petco and do the, the adoption no. things? Or like what, what no. would you do to exhibit that as a passion so people well, could identify like, oh, that's my passion too. I actually do that. So we have a little urban farm here in Orange County. And we had goats at one point. Um, we have chickens. I have two dogs, a cat, and four rabbits. And so I spend a lot of my extra time. Okay. My husband calls it animal management. But I spend a lot of my time with my animals. And I've learned a great deal from watching, experiencing, you know, having them have certain things or behaviors. Just that's what I do. And then I'd read about it or... You know, I'd research something that was going on with, you know, mites in my rabbit's ear. Of course, I went to the vet, but I learned about it, right? And so what happened was I came across an academy called the Karen Pryor Academy. And Karen Pryor is an older woman now. She's in her 70s, late 70s. And she was a trainer at an aquarium. So she did like dolphin training and whale training and things like that. And she transferred that into the realm of dog training. And so she came up with a curriculum that is a curriculum. It's all based on positive reinforcement. There's no coercion. There's none of that. Um, She uses a clicker to train. So sometimes you see trainers using whistles or clickers. Um, she uses that to mark the good behavior and then reinforce it. And she decided to create a training around it. So anybody can take the training. You can go online and look up Karen Pryor Academy and you can take something called, I think it's called Dog Training Fundamentals or something. And it's, you know, an online course. And then if you've done that and you want to do more, then there's the Dog Trainer Foundation, which is, it's like a year course. And a lot of it is online, but you have written classes, written studies that you have to do, and you have to work with a dog and train the dog. And then you go to workshops five times during your residency. Yeah, your residency, exactly. And you work with other trainers. So you're watching what they're doing with their animal and you become a certified training partner for Karen Pryor Academy. And that's what I did. That was the first step. And it was really sort of serendipitous that right when my company that I was working for, the recruiting company, sort of was no longer, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I had to take the final for this t- this credential. 
Oh, so, so you're already doing this. this I was whole already year, doing it. Training yeah, dogs, just because I really love it and mm-hmm. I really wanted to, and it was I found but you were it really thinking at the time it was for still for hobbies, still for fun, just yeah, for... and maybe one day I would do that someday. Yeah, and then someday came like that, mm-hmm. and it just so happened that it coincided with the time I had to take the finals, so I rocked it. I did great, of course, and um, and then I just decided, okay, I'm launching. This is it, right? And. So that is what I studied was Karen Pryor. And then since then, I've gotten um, another credential, which is through the Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers. And that's a third-party organization that you take a test. You obviously have to know the principles, and you take a test. And Written test? It's a, on the computer. You okay, go but to it's, like not a, it's not a in-person with the dog test. No, the knowledge okay, assessment, there's, there's two kinds that okay. you can take. You can take the knowledge kind, which is just the computer, or you can take the skills, which also you, you give video of yourself training. I did the knowledge assessed because it was the quickest, mm-hmm. you know, you, you study for the test and you take the test. And then to keep that credential, as well as the Karen Pryor, you have to obviously do CEUs. So I'm always continuing, continuing continuing education units. Yes. And so for that, I'm always going to conferences or some stuff is online, but the ones that I find the most helpful, like in April, I went to Utah to best friends society and it's a, a really amazing place and anybody can go there. You can go there and volunteer if you want. Um, it's a sanctuary. For all for kinds of animals? all kinds of animals. They have exotic birds. They have pigs and goats and cows and horses and dogs and cats and rabbits and chickens. Wow. <laughs> and um, you go and you can volunteer. You stay in the town of Kanab, which is a darling little community, and then you volunteer. But I went because it was in association with the Pet Professional Guild, of which I'm a member. That's and a different guild from the one. That's a different one. Okay. Yeah. So I'm involved in a lot of associations. Mm-hmm. Well, I would guilds. think you would be, right? Yeah. When this becomes your life's work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, they had a conference which had great speakers from all over the world. We had some from Europe, a couple from uh, like Scandinavian area, um, and then some from obviously here. And they have different workshops, and you follow, and then you get CEUs for that to keep up your credentials. So um, that's what I love to do because you also get to mix with other trainers who are Mm like-minded. So that's important because there's a lot of trainers out there who say – Buy the shock collar, get this prong collar, and your dog will behave. So I should send my bark collar back? <laughs> you don't have one. My dog's too little to have one, but I would for sure have one. Oh, So no. I'm, I need to come to no. you, but I wouldn't. She's too little. She's too little. Okay, but, yeah, no. But so I, you heard it here first. No bark collars. No bark collars. No, no shock collars. collars no, no prong. No choke chain. Oh, my gosh. Are these even things? Oh, the choke chain, uh-huh. for sure. I think people would have that. None of that. Yeah. A lot of people use those and they say, but I have to, I have a pit bull. I'm like, I have trained many big pit bulls Mm -hmm. that wear a flat buckle collar or a harness. No problem. The harness, right. That would be Mm -hmm. a good alternative. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do the shock collars or the prong collars. It, it hurts the dogs. I know. And it doesn't teach them again. It goes back to the no. That's such a good point. Mm -hmm. It doesn't teach them where you want them to be. If I want my dog to walk next to me, I'm not teaching him by yanking on him or pulling on him or having him try and avoid the feeling. That doesn't teach him anything. That frightens him and it hurts him. That's not what I'm doing. I teach the dog where I want you to be. 
And how I do that is with reinforcers. And I've had arguments with people who use the prong saying, well, you're trainers. Just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're, or, or people. People I can who, understand because we're not very knowledgeable and we haven't investigated. Okay, but there's uh, plenty uh, of trainers who just who have a very different approach. That that's the way, because it does work, right? A prong collar works to keep your dog next to you. But the mechanism by which it works is, is it hurts so the dog stays next to you to avoid the feeling of the prongs in his neck. My dog stays next to me because he knows that's where he's going to get reinforced or where I want him to be. So I have an, an older dog who walks right next to me even when she's not on the leash mm -hmm. because she's, she knows where I need her to be. Because I did reinforce her. Do I need reinforcements? No. Do I need treats to walk her? No. Because she knows now. And occasionally, the variable rate of reinforcement, I will offer her a treat or something good standing next to me on my left side. And I keep showing you here because this is where they always are. Mm. On the left side because they know. Because I taught them where to be. I didn't pull them there. Right. <laughs> right. Like I would have. Totally. Um, or a lot of people because yeah. they don't know better. I think it's so interesting to even think about. Well, and I, I think so many of us assume that there are experts. And then if you're an expert, then you're an expert, right? Like a doctor mm -hmm. or a nurse or a teacher mm -hmm. or whatever. No, you're a person who has that job, who has a certain philosophy. Right. And your job as a consumer is to find the person who's aligned with your philosophy, right? right? And to make yeah. sure that at least you're, you're going to be able to do what you're asking us to do as the client. Right. I want to get into a little bit. Okay. So I'm thinking, um, so really, in terms of barriers to entry to this field, mm -hmm. very low barrier to entry. Because yeah. when you say like anyone can go, anyone, anyone can, can do, do, it. do it. There is no regulation in this industry. Okay. So a reasonably an intelligent person could pass the test, could, you know, have some level of success. Just get passing a test. No? Yeah. Reasonable. Yes. I just want to think like where do people come in on this? Right. Right. Okay. So, so say then what? What makes it then that you go to the next level that you would actually have your own business? Because there's, is there a job for a dog trainer? Like if you, if you're a train, a dog trainer, yes. Is, and we're going to use that because there's no other better word. Is there a job for you or do you have to start your own business? Um, no, there are jobs. So you what can, are the jobs? Who hires hired, you? Uh, by a company who has other dog trainers. Oh, a co so a dog training company. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But there's not or like, like I'm a thinking pet like co or a pet smart. They hire dog trainers. They do. Yeah. And what would you do for them? Uh, you would train whatever they wanted you to train. Usually, you have you know four or five people coming into the pet smart area. Oh, okay. So when they sell like puppy training or something like right. that, and you then would you would that. come in, but you could do that ad hoc. Right, like you could you you could yes. come in and contract for that at any point. You don't have to have the job uh, no. to do that. I think that? you have to be hired by them. Okay, yeah, I'm I think they hire think their own trainers because they want to pay you what they want to pay you. And I know it's not what it's not it's commensurate not a, with what I make. Private trainer, because yeah, because you're not just paying for my hour; you're paying for my knowledge too. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it's more expensive. Which is really important because yeah. it's all the what ifs, you know, it's always totally. really easy when they show up and say like, all you have to do is fly the plane, just get up and down. Right. Well, but I, you have to be prepared for all the what ifs right. when I'm up in this plane. Okay. So you could train, um, you could train a seal, you could train a, a circus animal, you could train yes. a, a goat, you could conceivably yeah. train. Chickens. So what about all the, the kids? I think there's so many kids who say like, oh, I want to be um, a dolphin trainer. I want to be a marine biologist. This is the way to do it. Right. 
so and I never would have connected these two, but it's like if if that is such a if it's such a if the psychology is the same, yeah, it right. Is. The training is the same. It is totally. It's it's all the same. It's positive reinforcement. Any being wants to be reinforced. They they will behave for certain things. They're I mean, zoo keepers have trained lions to put their paw out to be able to take blood and things like that using this type of training. So it isn't just to do tricks or, you know, to have well-behaved animals. It's actually to do husbandry procedures. That's actually really interesting too. So even if you wanted to, say you wanted to be a vet tech or something. Oh yeah. This would be a really way to start. Yeah. Like, but so which would go first, a vet tech into this, or you could do this and then become a good vet tech. You could do either way. Um, I think vet techs, don't do enough behavior um, and behavior is really important. Like veterinarians, I have clients who are vets. I would think so. Yeah, I'm getting this now they too. Don't, right? They don't deal with the behavior part of it. They deal with the medical part of it. So the behavior part's huge. And if I can get my dog to walk into the vet without being afraid because I have shown him that he can trust me and that we're going to go and say hello. So that's I do that a lot with my clients' dogs. If they're really afraid of the vet, we'll do some just go see hi, here we are. Can, can you give him this treat? He gets a treat. He walks out of the vet. There was no blood. There was no mm-hmm. hurt. There was just a hello. So he gets a better feeling about, you know, that area, um, you know, being in the vet instead of something fearful. But I think a lot of times uh, veterinarians have, uh, they have a lot of clients, they have a busy schedule, they want to get the dogs in and out. And the easiest way to do that is very quickly, not necessarily without the least emotional distress, if that makes sense. It does, Unfortunately, just like doctors. Yeah, I exactly. mean, it's the, same, it's the same thing. The The training is medical. It's not psychological. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Okay, so um, I'm thinking just in terms of application, because who's listening to this, this particular episode are anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, because everyone wants to know what it is to be a dog trainer right. and how does that even work. Or I've always loved dogs. I would love to figure out how, a way to make a living with my love for dogs or animal cats, whatever, right. anything like that. Or... You know, people who maybe are, I would like to be a vet or I have a daughter who wants to be a zookeeper and you're giving me really good information because I'm thinking, well, if you really think that you might want to be a zookeeper when you're 10 or 11 or 12, go do a, do do a dog training, you know, my daughter is my best, is my best assistant Mm -hmm. too. So ask to, you know, shadow a positive reinforcement trainer. Right. And then they would get right. Because don't you think that that would help them? Totally. Kind of if someone were thinking about it, what would you say are kind of the really good ways to know if this would really be for you in terms of making a living? Like, because that's why I was asking you to be very specific when we were talking about transitioning from a hobby, but you had already well transitioned from a hobby level of interest. Right. And, And so I think that's it. I was passionate about it. It is my passion. I don't feel like I'm going to work. I feel like I'm helping people with their animals. And usually my clients become my friends because it's kind of a personal thing. Um, their animal is their family member. So it's like therapy. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I think that any way you are learning about it is important. So watching a lot of videos, you know, reading about it. Do cat, kind of cat videos don't count? <laughs> no, not the ones like the crazy ones. No. But there are cat trainers. people watch those. Yeah, there's Clicker Kittens. They're in an Instagram oh. account that I follow. That they do great things with the cats. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, plenty. Yeah. Okay. So 
I think what is interesting about your story is your um, ability to work with people. So when people think about working as a dog trainer, they're only thinking about the dog. So can you talk a little bit about the the, people. your requirements to, uh, in this field to have good people skills to under, I don't know if you, you I'm assuming that you need them, yes. but what, um, where's the intersection with the, the dog and then working really your clients who are paying you are right. people. So, um, I think you're good at that probably because of your background and you yeah. probably could speak to that. And I'm one of the things that I find that's helpful for me. Um, there are, there's obviously a certain amount of compliance that needs to happen in order for the dog to continue to learn. So I can teach you what I want you to do with your dog, but if you don't do it on a regular basis, the dog won't be able to do the behavior. A lot of people say they want to do this, and I believe they have every good intention, but a once a week coaching session doesn't always work because the people don't do the work in between. So what I started doing is something that some other trainers do. It's called day training. So I will train your dog, and then I'm going to show you how to maintain that behavior. So it is not I'm training Chris to learn how to train her dog. I'm not doing that. I'm training your dog, and then I show you how to train. And for me, that's, that's a lot better for most people because not everyone wants to be a dog trainer, right? When you hire somebody to help you with their dog, they want you just to help you with their dog. <laughs> Meaning they want you to take the reins. They don't want to be, they don't right. want to be, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So they don't want and to have so, to do the work right. of it. And oftentimes they don't. And so that is an issue. And um, there can be frustration from me to the client because the client hasn't done what they said they were going to do. And I used to get really upset about that. But now I realize that's pretty much the client is hiring you because you are the expert and they want you to do it. So then I thought that that wouldn't work because that's a lot of my time and money. And when I started offering it, people take it all the time because they want to have you train their dog all the way. and, right, because I don't want to have to learn a new skill. Right. I, I, I have a dog and that's enough for right. me. And right. I want, you already have the skill and you have it way, way better than I do. Right. So have your prices gone up because of the change in the way that you approach yes, it? Yes, okay. they have. And I usually just do packages now because the one hour, you know, once a week, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I do packages. So for instance, right now, um, I'm doing a day training. It's three days a week. And then the fourth day during the week, I meet with the owner or the handler and I say, okay, here's what the dog knows how to do. The first three days are just dog. Just me and the dog. Okay. And I can get done a lot of stuff because I know how. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of dogs, so I get what they're doing. Right. Um, Versus somebody who just got their first dog or they have a rescue or, you know, who knows what their story is. Um, And I do that for several weeks. And then at the end of that, they hopefully have a dog that knows these behaviors. And when they say sit, the dog sits. When they say down, the dog goes down. When they walk, the dog walks next to them. So they don't have to teach it. It's already taught. Mm Mm-hmm. Mind you, without an aversive. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. <laughs> so how is that for you? Are um, One of the things I like to kind of talk about here also is, are, are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Because uh, I see you as a huge extrovert. Yeah. Okay, so how, but you spend a lot of time just you and the dog, but that satisfies your oh, yeah. your extroversion. Yeah. You know, because that's well, kind of I, like alone time-ish. Yeah, but it's lovely. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. 
and I I love spending time with animals. I find it fascinating the way they act and getting them to do what I would like them to do and figuring out how. So it's it's satisfying for sure. Okay, so as we close out and mm-hmm. thinking about, it, I think we've given people a really good idea of the ways to do it. You know, mm-hmm. get, take some classes, watch some videos, right. maybe shadow someone if you can, yes. you know, maybe get inside a vet office, you know, see what, what might work. Right. Are there any final two or three things that you would say if you really want to do this, these are the essentials. This is what you really need to be as a person because I think tactically it's kind of straightforward, right? If someone wants to figure that. But what would you say to someone, the the personal qualities? If you want to have your own business, you have to be organized and you have to be entrepreneurial. You have to be able, I mean, a lot of the time, I'm not going to say this is like perfect and easy. A lot of the time it's really hard. Sometimes it feels like I have, you know, 20 clients Mm -hmm. and sometimes it feels like I have no clients. So you have to be willing to weather that part of it without giving up. And that's a really big part of it. If, if you just want to train, then I suggest going to a place that's hiring. It's not a ton of money, but if you want to train, there are ways you can get into it and then decide if that's for you. But I think the part that's, that's hard is knowing how to you know, weather the storm or, you know, run a business, manage, yeah, manage, manage, a business. manage a business. And I don't have any employees cause I don't want to go there quite yet, but in order to grow my business, that is where I have to go. So that will be a decision that I need to make. And then you would be someone hiring those yes. next trainers and yes. then still taking in the clients and then yes. deciding all that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, dog walking is a great way to get into it. It's not something I did, but I know a lot of people who started that way. So like some of those new apps that yeah. are out, like do yeah. something, what is it? Dog, wag or I don't even know. So do something like that. Yeah. Dog walking or something like that, or, you know, volunteering at the shelter. Uh, you have to be 18, but you can volunteer at your local shelters. That's a way to go about getting experience with animals and, you know, not, not so much training, but just being around animals and figuring it out. And then even if you did that, though, this is experience that you could take anywhere else, right? So oh, say yeah. you say you did it and then you decided, you know what, I, I can't have my own business, but I do love animals and I do. I have all oh, this yeah. now. I have all this psychological training, right? You mm-hmm. could then use it. So Absolutely. it's not a waste of time by Absolutely. any stretch. Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. Whatever, whichever way you get into it. And there's not a prescribed method. You know, there's not a prescribed path. It just kind of happens <laughs> can you make a can you make a living on your own like could you support yourself and have your own apartment and do your own thing with a, yes, as I a have, dog trainer i have business? plenty of friends who do that yeah. yes i do but my husband supports me oh thank god <laughs> yes <laughs> and then there's always that there's always okay. that <laughs> well thank you very much tara renault for being here tara thank again you. is in a world famous dog trainer <laughs> i wouldn't she say has, she is um speaks fluent french and trains every bijon frise in yes. in the world yes, yes. i would absolutely. say world famous though, because that's where we're going right sure Right? I mean, you could do this. You could do this anywhere. Does yes. the psychology oh, yeah, change anywhere no. across the? It's no. the same. No, and a lot of people who come to the same clinics I come to, like I said, they're from around the world. Around the world. Because I was even thinking in your as your CMUs. I know I promised to leave. So, but as your CMU, CMEUs, CEUs, as you're doing those, what what's changing? You know, like is it just more experience? More experience, different. Do- yeah. So, like niche stuff. So, ideal. I'm going to one in January that's only on aggression. 
that's a lot different than dealing with puppies. That's a lot different than dealing with senior dogs and enrichment. That's a lot different than shelter. I mean, there's all different aspects of... Like little specialties, too, that you have to keep... Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because you think about it differently for medicine or whatever. Like, you get a specialty, that's it. Right. Then go and learn how to do all the other ones. Yeah, and there are people who just specialize. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's... That's smart. I do puppies and I do aggression or reactivity. I don't really call it aggression. I call it reactivity. Aggression, not regression. Right. So, okay. So when they're already like that. Yeah. Just training. Okay. So again, thank you very much for being here. (laughs) So we've been with Tara Renault, who is, I'm going to say it, you're a world famous dog trainer. And you know why you're world famous? Because you um, speak fluent French and you're married to a Frenchman. There you go. (laughs) So we're going to say that. So thanks so much for being with us, Tara. Thanks, Chris. So you have just been with us for an awesome introduction into the dog training world and what it is to be a dog trainer. And again, that's for lack of a better word, because as you heard Tara talking about it, that's not really how she considers herself. I think she'd more probably say that she was a behavioral expert. So let's hit the fast track on the dog training career with Tara Renault. So what is it really like to be a dog trainer? I think what's super interesting in talking to Tara is that she kind of gets away from being called a dog trainer. She really emphasized only wanting to use that since there's no better term. So let's listen to her talk a little bit about the the confusion that she encounters with being called a dog trainer. There's a lot of confusion and misinformation really on what a dog trainer is. I don't like to call myself a dog trainer. I do, for lack of a better term. There really isn't a good terminology for what I do. I'm more of a family therapist slash advocate slash coach. So again, I, I don't really train behaviors. I coach people and dogs to get alternative behaviors to behaviors that they don't like. So that's it's really interesting listening to her because the cool thing about this training is that she's talking about specifically training a dog, but this training could be applied to any animal. And in fact, she even talks about having to train a different species in order to get her certification. So listen to a little bit about what she talks about in terms of the applicability of the dog training, the actual education and the application that you get when you go through the dog training skills. Zoo keepers have trained lions to put their paw out to be able to take blood and things like that using this type of training. So it isn't just to do tricks or, you know, to have well-behaved animals. It's actually to do husbandry procedures. Which is really neat when you think about it. And uh, one of the things that she really talked about was training, you know, we were talked about, could you train an orca? Can you train a, you know, an elephant? Could you train anything? And that's what we said, hopefully not anymore. (laughs) But there's a lot of things that you can do with this train kids. So uh, for all of us in need of that, the thing that's also interesting, and the way that she talks about it, expanding on really her own dog. And we like to think that if you're a dog trainer, that you would have a perfect you know, perfectly well-behaved dog. But that, I think, would be like saying, if you're a doctor, you're never going to get sick. So just listen to her talk about her own dog. 
I mean, I don't have a perfect dog because he's a dog and he is a living, sentient being that makes his own choices mm-hmm. too. Right. And so I'm, you know, limited in how I can coerce or control, which I choose not to do. So I try and elicit behaviors that are acceptable and good and teach behaviors that are okay with us. So like no jumping on the furniture, no jumping on people, you know, when they walk in the door, he's not really a barker or or things like that. Chew appropriate things, do that kind of thing. And in thinking about that, I think what's important, what was really evident to me as I'm talking to Tara in this conversation is the intersection that that there is when you're a dog trainer, you think that you're training a dog, but what you, the people who are paying you are, are humans, you know, so that really you have to have a good facility with the, uh, with the client who is, you know, focusing on different things. So there's one little things that she's mentioning here about, um, how the clients come to her, what they think about. So take a listen here and then I'll, um, talk about it a little bit more. My business is called what a good dog. And I never get a call from a person who says, I have a good dog. I always get called from people who say I have a bad dog. And that's because that's what they're focusing on. Mm-hmm. That was interesting when you, if you get a chance to listen to the full interview with Tara, and you're thinking about the dog training experience. She really does talk about having to work with your clients, almost train your clients in how to look at their at their dog and to find the good in their dog and their dog. And she said, they'll be sitting at the kitchen table going through their first consultation and the dog will be sitting there just doing nothing, you know, well-behaved, but they're saying like, okay, well, that's just now. And uh, really just educating the client is all part of this. So think about who you have to be in this space. It's great if you love animals, but who you're going to be working with and who's going to be paying you for your services is a person. So you have to be able to just think about it in that way and have your people skills well intact. So it related to that, what we also discussed a lot was whether you're going to have a job as a, a dog trainer or whether you're going to have your own business. So Tara has a business background. Listen to her talking about the importance of her business experience in this space as a dog trainer. If you want to have your own business, you have to be organized and you have to be entrepreneurial. You have to be able, I mean, a lot of the time, I'm not going to say this is like perfect and easy. A lot of the time it's really hard. Sometimes it feels like I have, you know, 20 clients Mm -hmm. and sometimes it feels like I have no clients. So you have to be willing to weather that part of it without giving up. And that's a really big part of it. If if you just want to train, then I suggest going to a place that's hiring. It's not a ton of money, but if you want to train, there are ways you can get into it and then decide if that's for you. But I think the part that's that's hard is knowing how to, you know, weather the storm or, you know, run a business. Manage it. A lot of my associates who are dog trainers again, for lack of a better term, they come at it from a much different perspective. They are dog people. And a lot of times they don't do as well with clients or teaching Mm -hmm. as I do, Mm -hmm. because my background is business. It's just such a good, really, I think an important 
point that she brought out from being a dog trainer. It's one thing to think, I want to uh, go and train dogs. But then if you are thinking about this as a career goal, you have to figure out how am I going to make a living like this and how am I going to get paid? And we did talk about, you know, you can definitely make a living this way. You can have your, you know, your own apartment, your own car on the money that you would get from being a dog trainer. And she um, talks about the lack of regulation in this industry. So they're really low barriers to entry. Anyone can really go and start your dog training education and then pick up with things like walking dogs or, you know, even the difference of being in a vet tech and, you know, carrying on some of the dog training. But that is your quick and easy fast track to being a dog trainer with my guest today, Tara Reno. So thanks again for listening to the podcast and we'll see you next time.